Well, I know that we uh, supposedly lost an hour of sleep last night, but the fact that the sun is shining just makes it a whole lot easier to be here, doesn't it, on uh, Sunday nights? When that time changes the other way, I just, I just want to go to bed as soon as it gets dark. So uh, now we're all, we're all wide awake and everybody's with it. And uh, we have been for the last several weeks on Sunday nights looking at the life of Moses. And we have followed Moses from being brought up as the prince of Egypt, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, to being exiled to Midian, to being a a shepherd for his father-in-law, to being called by God in the burning bush to go back and confront confront Pharaoh through the ten plagues, and then the, finally the the uh, the releasing of the Israelites and and getting to the Red Sea, and then Pharaoh charging after them and and crossing over on dry ground and then Pharaoh and his army or at least Pharaoh's army is drowned and then some wandering already a little bit kind of through the desert and complaining from the Israelites because they didn't have water or they didn't have food or this that or the other thing and then finally last week we got him to Sinai to Mount Sinai and God was giving going to give them the law we talked about how important having that law was that that really solidified them as a nation it made them you know legitimate in in a sense because now they they weren't just two million people roaming around out there but they had a codified law and a religion and all those different things and so that was important we talked last week about the preparations, about the, the washings that they had to go through before God was going to give them the law. And then we talked about how that God set up a perimeter around the mountain and said, nobody come near the mountain, not animal, not beast, not, not man. Anybody who does is going to be stoned or shot with arrows because nobody's to touch the person that touches the mountain. Apparently, it was like having the coronavirus. And so, you know, nobody was going to touch him. And so God, you know, we, we have this, all this uh, thunder and lightning and earthquake and clouds and everything, smoke and everything going on on this mountain. And then we looked last week at the first 10 commandments, what we call the 10 commandments. And it was as if God sent Moses down to, to give them the heart of the meat of what was going to be the law. And so Moses comes down and he gives that law to them, the Ten Commandments. And then Moses goes back up on the mountain in the middle of all the thunder and lightning and and earthquake and smoke and fire and all that stuff going on. In the middle of all of that, Moses goes back up on the mountain to get the rest of the law. And in chapter 32, this is what's going on down below while Moses is up on the mountain. In chapter 32 of Exodus, it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. Come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron answered them, after having his arm twisted, That's not in there, is it? Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your son, and your daughters were wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, 
These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bound down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord and said, O Lord, why should your anger burn against your people whom you... Do you see how it went back and forth? God says, your people that you brought up out of Egypt. And God, and, and Moses says, your people who you brought up out of Egypt. It's kind of like getting at the end of picking the kickball team. You take him, you take him. Nobody wants him, okay? Why should the Egyptians say, verse 12, it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountain and to wipe them off the face of the earth. Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster upon your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to whom you swore by yourself, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land that I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord repented and did not bring on his people the disaster he threatened. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God and engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, remember Joshua went part way up, was allowed to go part way up the mountain. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in camp. There was all kinds of commotion going on. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory and it is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. And I think not in a good way. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hand, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that he made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. That's one expensive drink, isn't it? He said to Aaron, "Why did what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Don't be angry, my Lord. Aaron answered, you know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who came up, brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And then, and they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. One of my favorite stories of all time, and we've discussed this before. So a lot of this is probably not going to be new to us. But there's some people maybe who haven't heard it. Maybe we'll get a different take on it. But before we kind of get into this, a couple observations I wanted to make. How hard it was for Moses to lead the people. 
you know, it was. And if you've ever been in a position of leadership, you know how hard it is. And Moses has been appointed by God to lead these people. And at every turn, they're complaining and they're griping and they're, they're disobeying and they're rising up in rebellion and, and all these different things. And just as we saw in this brief little dialogue between Moses and God, for the next 40 years, there's going to be this back and forth between Moses and God. There are going to be times when Moses says, I am sick and tired of these people. I'm done with them. Wipe them all out. And God says, no, Moses, now settle down. And then there's going to be times like we just saw where God is fed up. And God says, I'm going to destroy all these people and I'm going to start it with you. And Moses says, now God, settle down. Take a deep breath. You don't really want to do that. It's not going to look good. And so over and over again in the 40 years that they wander in the wilderness, we have this kind of, kind of back and forth between God. Because the Israelites are just a hard-headed, what did God call them? Stiff-necked. Cantankerous. I like that word. Couldn't spell it, but I like it. Cantankerous people. So that was just a general observation. And secondly... Who got the Israelites in this situation? Well, Aaron did, right? Aaron kind of was the, the, he may not have thought it up, but he certainly was the instigator after that. You remember way back at the burning bush? When God says to Moses, I want you to go and get the people out of Egypt. I want you to confront Pharaoh. And Moses over and over and over again offers excuse after excuse after excuse. And eventually comes to the bottom line. I don't want to get somebody else to do it. Now you remember last week when we were in 1 John, we were talking about prayer. And I reminded you of what Norman reminded us about prayer. That God either gives us what we ask for or something better. Here is a situation where God gave Moses what he asked for. He wanted to give him something better, I think. But Moses didn't want to do what God said. Moses wanted somebody to go with him. Moses wanted somebody to be the spokesperson. So God says, all right, if that's what you want, I'll give you Aaron. And the very person that Aaron or that Moses wanted ended up being a thorn in Moses' side for the next 40 years. It's kind of like, remember, later on when the Israelites demand... A king. They want a king. And God says, no, you don't want a king. If you get a king, it's going to be awful. And this is going to happen. And that's going to happen. All these things. You don't want a king. But the Israelites were still, we want a king. We want a king. We want a king. And so God finally said, all right, I'm going to give you what you asked for. And of course, we know how disastrous that turned out for Israel. So even though Moses was not a part of this, part of it was because of his own making. His own doing. So tonight I wanted to look at some things that fit in here as they uh, fashioned their God. First of all, it's important to notice, they fashioned a God to fit their needs. 
or what they thought their needs were. You know, the first big question that I have as we read this story is why? Why would you do this? Why would you, why would you want to, to, to make an idol? Why would you make it out of a calf? Why not an idol out of a goat or something else? Well, probably has to do with their 400 and something years in Egypt. And cows and calves and all those kinds of things were, were a part of the Egyptian religion. They would have been very familiar with golden calves. They would have been very familiar with worshiping the idols of a golden calf. So when they're stranded out there and all of a sudden their view of God isn't what or, or what we see of God wasn't how they thought God ought to be. I imagine they didn't think God ought to be this thunder and lightning and, and fire and, and smoke, you know, billowing from the mountain and this earthquake and all this kind of stuff. They wanted something tangible. They wanted something that they could see, that they could touch, that they could feel. And they were used to that from Egypt. So, so that's what they did. That was going to make them feel better. Remember that at this point, God had given them 10 commandments. That's it. Now we know that Moses is up there and he's getting a whole slew of laws and regulations and all this kind of stuff. But up to this point, Moses comes down from the mountain and says, here's 10. I'm going back up to get the rest. And while he's up there, they've already broken at least number two and maybe number one. Number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Worship me alone. Number two, thou shalt not make any graven images. Now, I believe when we went through this and I told you, I believe the two has to do with one. I believe what God was saying was don't make any graven images and then worship me through that graven image. I don't think he's talking about idolatry in a sense. He already dealt with that in the first commandment. Have no other gods before me. That pretty well takes out idolatry, right? Second commandment is don't make any graven images. You're going to be tempted. You're going to want something you can see. You're going to want something physical. You're going to want something tangible, but don't do it. They don't even get the rest of the commandments. They done broke a couple of them. They made this golden calf because it fit their image of what God should be. And I think a lot of times we do that in our lives as well. We, they wanted something physical to worship. They let their circumstance fashion their God. Instead of allowing their God to fashion their circumstance. You see there's a difference there. We're prone to do the same thing. You know. We're prone to treat God kind of like a, a big clump of clay or Play-Doh. And if we're involved in some kind of sin, but we still kind of want to do it, even though we don't, we kind of refashion God so that it'll be okay. Or we're in the midst of a disaster or something terrible has happened and, and it just doesn't fit our image of God. We reshape and refashion God into something that, that pleases us, that makes us feel better. Fashion God to fit our needs in worship. And that is exactly the opposite of how it ought to be, right? 
We have in the Old Testament that beautiful analogy of the potter and the clay. And we sing that song, do we not have thine own way, Lord? Thou art the potter and I am the clay. We don't mold God into our image. We let God mold us into his image. And Aaron, Aaron says, I just took the jewelry and threw it in the fire and it just jumped out. Well, that's not what it said, is it? He had to make a cast, first of all, to put all the gold in. It says that he fashioned it with a tool. I might, you know, this is probably some good looking golden calf. But it was not the way that Aaron had said that it was. The second thing, and it fits, it's kind of the same thing, is that they fashioned their own God. Does that make any sense to you? What is the purpose of God? The purpose of God, even if you go back to non-Jehovah God religions, the idea is is to have a being that is superior to us. We understand that in our theology, in our we, we, we get that. So how ridiculous is it to make your own God? I want a God that is superior. I want a God that is all powerful. I want a God like our God. And so in order for me to make my own God, what is, what is greater? The creator or the creation? The creator is greater. So if I make my own God, who's greater? I am. I am because I made my own God. But God made us. I love Isaiah 44, beginning in verse 12. And we've read this before, but you know, the writers of the Bible have a sense of humor. They did. Isaiah certainly had a sense of humor. Listen to how he describes idolatry. The blacksmith takes a tool And works it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses strength. He drinks no water. He grows faint. You see the idea? He's just working at it. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He rusts it out with chisels and marks it with a compass. He shapes, shapes it in the form of a man. A man in all his glory that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. So some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and breaks bread. But he also fashions a God and worships it. He makes an idol and bow down to it. Half of the wood... He burns in a fire. Over it, he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and he eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest, he makes a God. His idol. He bows down to it. 
and worships. He prays to it and says, save me. You are my God. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so that they cannot see. Then their minds are closed so that they cannot understand. Isaiah is saying, how ridiculous is that? You go out and you cut down a tree and you cut the tree in half and half of it you use to make firewood and the other half you use to make an idol that you bow down and you worship and you call your God. Parenthetically, and Isaiah, I think, would have said this. How do you know you got the right half? How do you know you didn't burn your God and you're worshiping your firewood? Isaiah is saying, do you people not understand how ridiculous it is to make your own God and then worship it? That makes no sense at all. And that's exactly what was happening with the Israelites. They made their own gods. And the statement that Aaron and the others made, after the golden calf is fashioned, and the people are like, ooh, what did they say? Behold, Israel, your gods who brought you up out of Egypt. Seriously? When they came up out of Egypt, they were in their ears and their nose. They were earrings. They weren't gods. And now after the fact you create a god, you know, you can't grandfather the god into what happened before. You can't say, okay, now that this god, you know, brought us up out of Egypt. No. The god on the mountain. The God with all the thunder and the lightning and the smoke and the fire. That's the God that parted the Red Sea. That's the God that provided water from a rock. That's the God that has been providing manna every day. That's the God that did all these things. That's the God that helped you defeat the Amalekites in battle. That's the God who did all that. This wasn't even around. This hadn't even been created yet. And you want to say that this is the God that brought you up out of Egypt. And we, just like I've been doing for the last 10 minutes, scoff at the Israelites, make fun of the Israelites, belittle the Israelites and all idol worshipers, because we know how foolish that is. But we're in danger of doing the same things. Now, there's probably not a single person in here who is probably in danger of fashioning a golden calf and putting it on their mantle or their dinette table or or whatever and worshiping to it. You know, I think that much of y'all. I I don't think there's anybody in here going to be tempted to do that. But what about money? What about health? What about possessions? What about jobs? What about power? What about education? What about technology? Can we find ourselves worshiping to a man-made idol? Yeah. It won't look like a golden calf. It'll be something else. But we are still in danger of doing that. Thirdly, they sacrificed to their fashioned God. Now, now I got to tell you, 
Again, I know I'm belittling them. We do the same thing. But the only thing more ridiculous to me than worshiping an idol that you just made is sacrificing to that idol. Giving to that idol, that thing that you made, that thing that was not there and now is there, and now I'm going to sacrifice to it. Did you see what it said? We're going to have a festival to the Lord, and they brought burnt offerings and all kinds of different kind of offerings, and, and they brought it to the golden calf, like the golden calf needs it, you know. But we do the same thing as well. All those idols that we talked about that might be idols in our lives. We sacrifice to them. Our time, our energy, our money. Maybe even we sacrifice so much that we sacrifice our families. We have to be careful that we do not do the same things that these people do. Sometimes sacrifice more than expected. The fine print. And fourthly, we see that God punished them. Pick up the story with me in verse 25. Moses saw that the people were running wild and Aaron had let them get out of control and so became a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord come to me and all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Each man strap a sword to his side. Go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other. Each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart from the Lord today to the Israel, to the Levites. Uh, for you were against your sons and brothers and he has blessed you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you've written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go and lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes, I will punish them for their sin. Again, we have this, this back and forth kind of with God and Moses. Moses. Moses is a hothead, right? We know that from back when he killed the Egyptian. Moses comes down from the mountain and he sees what's going on and he throws the tablets and breaks them. He takes the gaff and he beats it up into fine powder. He puts it in their drinking water. He makes them drink it. You want a golden calf here? Drink. And then he gets the Levites. A little gruesome in there, wasn't it? You know, maybe a little PG-13 bordering on, you know, R for violence. He said, if anybody's with me and all the Levites, he said, put a sword on. And I want you to go in and out of the camp, just slicing and dicing. Killing everybody you can. And 3,000 people were killed. And then, what does Moses do? He goes and beseeches the Lord on behalf of of the people. 
maybe Moses realizes if I'm as mad as I am, God has got to be really mad. And if I did this, who knows what he's going to do? And so Moses goes up and Moses says, Lord, don't do it. I know what you're thinking. Don't do it. And then he says, but if you want to do it, if you want to do it, that's fine. Just blot my name out of the book. I'm going to, I'm going to wash my hands of it all too. And God says, all right, enough is enough for now. For now. But punishment is coming. And we know later on when they get to Kadesh Barnea and they disobey God and don't take the land and all these other different things that God eventually pretty well wipes out that entire generation. Not specifically because of what happened here, but certainly in part because of what happened here. When we think about the golden calf, what a, a sad chapter in the history of the Israelites. You know, I went back and I, I reread some of that that we read last week before Moses went on the mountain and getting the preparations and all that. And how many times the Israelites said to Moses, we'll do whatever God wants. We're, we're, we're pledging our faith and our trust and our hope and we're play, we'll, we'll do it. We're on God's side. And I don't know how long it was between chapter 20 and chapter 32. I don't, I don't know the period of time. They thought it was too long of a time. But here they are making a golden calf and worshiping. And God and Moses both bring punishment upon them. There are times in our lives when we may not find God to our He may not be what we anticipated. He may not be what we thought God was going to be like. But instead of trying to shape him into our image, we need to let him shape us into his image. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this evening, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D. C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 818- West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service. 
Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.